I think I was quite freaked out when they were babies about the extent to which my freedom and my life was being curtailed, mm-hmm. even though I'd chosen it. And all of a sudden I just burst into tears. Yeah. Because I realised that we'd finally made it. It's such a relief. <laughs> it is. That's exactly, that's the perfect word really, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's a relief. Welcome to Mother Other, a podcast exploring the space between motherhood and our desire for personal development and fulfillment. I am your host, Amy Pearson. This podcast is produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I wish to acknowledge them as the traditional owners. I would also like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hello, I'm back for another episode. Welcome back. This season is just flying by so fast. I'm pretty blown away, actually, how quickly we're getting through these conversations. Could be to do with the fact that I'm releasing them weekly rather than fortnightly, or maybe it's just that my life feels like it's on 1.5 speed because I have a toddler. Yes, that's right. I have a toddler. It's pretty mind-boggling. My tiny baby, who I was cradling to sleep when we first began this podcast, is now a walking boy. I'm in denial that he is growing so quickly. It is truly a wild, wild time. 2020, huh? What a year. How are you? This is a gentle reminder for you to relax your jaw, let your shoulders drop, release the tension you're holding in your body. Take a deep breath. Ready? Ah. Feel better? I hope you do. Remember to do that every now and again. And honestly, that was as much a reminder for myself as it was to help you. Okay, so today our guest is Laura Brading, mum of two babies, Magnolia and Sydney, and one half of Well Read, the curated book subscription service that I wish I'd thought of myself, which is basically two incredibly cool, intelligent women with their finger on the pulse of what is relevant right now, celebrating the immeasurable power of reading by hand-selecting a surprise new release book each month to be posted to your door. It's basically like the adult version of a lucky dip, but you know there's going to be something really cool when you unwrap it, so definitely get on that if you haven't already. Laura has spent most of her adult life in the literary world, including working in the publishing industry for a stretch of time before becoming a mother. In today's conversation, Laura and I delve deep into what it means to be a mother and our attempts as women to prove ourselves to be more than that undervalued label. I have to admit this is one of my most thoroughly enjoyed chats in the history of the podcast so far. Laura and I could not stop talking and the conversation got rather deep quite fast. I'd like to put a trigger warning here as Laura talks pretty openly about her struggles through endometriosis, polycystic ovaries, infertility, miscarriage and how isolating all of these experiences can be. I think it's really important to have open dialogue about these topics, especially on platforms like this one, for those of us who are comfortable enough to share because... As we mentioned in the conversation, there isn't a lot to grasp onto in the mainstream media that offers solidarity to those of us who are struggling in these areas. Laura offers some advice for how to get into reading if you aren't already a major bookworm like we are. 
The conversation has many references to books that we've read and is heavily weighted towards our mutual love of reading. So if you're into books, this episode is the one for you. We also discuss Laura's life pre-motherhood, how she and her partner were living a pretty relaxed lifestyle before it all began, in hindsight, her intense maternal cravings, her gynecological issues, the fact that hearing the words, you may have difficulty conceiving, inspired Laura to start trying earlier than many of her friends at 25, the all-consuming endeavour of trying to conceive, and realising the commonality of miscarriage and how her experience could have been less shit if there were more open conversations around it, along with her second natural unplanned pregnancy. Honestly, I could have continued this conversation for a lot longer than the hour-ish that it was, but unfortunately for me, we had to wrap it up sometime. Thank you so much for being here. Here's Laura on who she is a mother to. I am a mother to a four-year-old Magnolia, my four-year-old daughter, and I have a son who's two, nearly three, called Sydney. Beautiful. Great names too. I feel like there's so many oh, thank you. so many good names come through this show. I'm always like, oh, new names. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> um, so you are the sort of one half of Well Read, which is a curated book subscription service for adults and also kids now as well. It's all about the immeasurable power of reading and the very real ways it can make us better and more interesting people, which is just so spot on I love it so much such a great idea <laughs> so would you like to talk to us about who you were pre-motherhood I know that you were in publishing originally is that right yeah I only stopped working in publishing um after my son was born so he's my second child um so I was working in publishing pre-children and then when my daughter was young who was I <laughs> I mean I was the same person uh, I was, yeah, entirely the same person, just with um, different things to do, I suppose. <laughs> uh, you know, in hindsight, we, my husband and I had a pretty relaxed lifestyle going on. So I was a, probably a more of a relaxed person. <laughs> um, but, yeah, certainly the things that define me now uh, were the things that defined me then, I think, apart from, I suppose, having children. Um, yeah, I worked in publishing. We had moved from Sydney down to uh, Austin Mere, which is about an hour and a half south. Um, and it's sort of the beginning of the south coast. And we lived here for, um, how long did we live here before we had a baby? Maybe a year and a bit. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we were taking it pretty easy mm. and having a pretty good time. Got a dog. Started to grow up a bit. <laughs> That's what we did too. Started with the dog. <laughs> I think it's um, I think it's not a bad idea yeah. to sort of graduate from, you know, dog or cat to child. It does give you a little bit of an idea of what things <laughs> might be like. Did you feel a maternal desire when you were younger and growing up, or was it just sort of more towards that time that you decided? No, I had um, yeah, ginormous maternal cravings. Mm. To the point of just, I look back on it and think, what was that? Like, it just seems so delusional now to, mm. <laughs> because, you know, it's, it's a feeling that was not founded on, on anything very, 
concrete or like anything that really reflects the reality of it. It was just, um, you know, I, I guess it was cynical, you know, cynical me would say it was hormones. <laughs> I was feeling, if it was a day where I was feeling more spiritual, it might be something else, but I don't have too many of those days. Um, yeah, I've had that feeling for a long time. A long time like when I was a teenager I was you know you'd be babysitting children you just sort of had this fantasy that, that they were yours you know mm. and like how great would that be mm. so yeah I've, I've had that maternal um feeling for a long time <laughs> can you expand on what it was specifically about motherhood that was so appealing to you do you think well that's why I sort of mentioned that it's not really the feelings weren't founded on the reality of it. When I yeah. think about having children, I would think about, you know, cuddling a baby, um, having a conversation with like a five-year-old, I suppose the age of what my daughter is now, um, you know, having one of those great conversations where they just sort of starting to learn about the world and how things work and, you know, those wonderful things that kids say. I would just think of like basically the highlight reel of being a parent minus the really shitty challenging bits in between. Of course, yeah. Um, and, yeah, even when I was pregnant with both my children, obviously the first time around I, I wasn't even sure what was on the other side, but when I was pregnant I, I had that same sort of anticipation of um yeah just all the lovely parts and even though I had experienced by the time I had my son I was again I think I just become overwhelmed with the yeah the beauty of of children um yeah however like you know we need to get to a part where I acknowledge that it's not all hugs and (laughs) yeah it's hard to know that until you're in it though right like it kind of is always a little bit of a delusion until I mean, unless you have direct contact with another baby 24-7, it's just so hard to fathom how much of your energy and mentality is consumed by that sort of... I think so, yeah. I think some of my friends who are my age and haven't had children yet, they seem to have really um, more kind of practical ways of thinking about um, procreating and bringing children into the world. And I'm like, why don't I think of that? (laughs) You know, they're really... (laughs) they're really uh, strategic about it. But uh, yeah, I, I do agree with you that it's, it's entirely uh, impossible, I think, to know the reality of motherhood or even any really uh, complicated lived experience until you've yes. lived it. Yeah, totally. Did you sort of, I know you had a sense of maternal desire, but did you find it easy to sort of conceive? Was it planned? How did that all It was absolutely planned on 100 percent um but yeah we had a really hard time falling pregnant I I had that maternal desire like I said since I was a teenager um but then I also sort of had a history of endometriosis polycystic ovaries and just general uh general gynecological issues really that um you know Mm you're in doctor's rooms and you hear things like you may have difficulty conceiving. So I think that might have inspired um, my husband and I to try and start having children earlier. Although, you know, if I hadn't had those medical uh, reasons, then I would have found some other reason because it was a real strong feeling in me. 
Um, mm. But yeah, so I don't know how old I was. Maybe I was 25 when we started to just try and have a baby naturally, 25 or 26, which, you know, I guess is on the young side, but it was something that was important to us um, and tried for a few years and then and no real success. Um, so we ended up having uh, fertility assistance with, to conceive Magnolia, not IVF, but the steps you can take before that, um, which was, my gosh, like it was such a consuming experience um, with, you know, a miscarriage and just mm. a horrible time because it's so hard to think about other things when you really want a child. It's just the most consuming yeah. um, endeavour and um, I know that people have had it a lot harder than us but, I, yeah, that I will never... I will never forget that feeling of wanting something so badly and not and not being able to have it and and um, yeah it's, it's it taught me a lot I guess um, but was that a long period um, between when you started trying and getting assistance and then falling pregnant? Um, the trying naturally was a long period. It was yeah two and a bit years, maybe three hard to remember you know you start off casually trying and it seems fun you know and then every period comes around and there's this sort of dread that comes with it and then you think oh just almost a morning it is a morning it's almost like you're mourning something and that's yeah it's you're completely mourning something that never was but um you you know it is it is something to you um uh but then the actual fertility assistance you know we went into one of those of amazing to see how the mechanics of a fertility center work those places are just insane and like you just go before work you know and do all your things and get your phone calls and they tell you when to have sex and it's crazy and so Mm. weird but um yeah it was really we it worked we fell pregnant the first time we tried the this ovulation drug I had to take and then miscarried which was um so just just the worst like after so many years you just so hard to not get entirely excited when you first get pregnant and also at this age I was completely unaware to the statistics of miscarriage um I was yeah. too yeah it's one in four high, people like you know it's yeah. something that needs yeah. to be shouted uh, about because like because people feel so isolated don't they when they experience it like absolutely you just and faulty yeah. and you know it's just um yeah so that was obviously shit but it yeah it could have been less shit I think if there was um, more conversation around it and that's why I'm yes. absolutely not afraid to have discussions about it now because yeah of the uh, prevalence of it um yeah then so that all worked out pretty well in the end with Magnolia I have to say and then I had the old oh I can't have children very easily you know I can probably relax a bit and then um you know it turns out that that's not always the case so Mr. Steve so you got pregnant naturally did you uh naturally yeah naturally and completely unplanned so wow um, interesting just yeah maybe that could be a word of warning for (laughs) people (laughs) who yeah you just don't know what your body can do and you know in fact pregnancy has been so um helpful to some of the 
gynecological issues I've had in the past. Um, oh, wow. So it's continued on, has it? It's sort of helped. Yeah, it's really like post. A lot of people yep. with endometriosis especially find that um, that pregnancy and childbirth can be can really help ameliorate those symptoms and that was my experience. But I just, yeah, I didn't really get the time to become aware of that before I was pregnant again. Um, yeah, right. But, yeah, uh, I mean – a great surprise and now I'm um you know using a lot of caution <laughs> yeah of course did you always want two children is did you ever have a number in your head no I mean I guess for maybe maybe people like me who do um who did think about that sort of stuff a lot I thought I would have like three or four you know the idea of a large family was wonderful and beautiful and I just thought oh, all those children when they're older coming back to the house and yeah now I'm like my god three children I don't think I can do that <laughs> yeah yeah so you've um, hit your sort of peak perfect family balance right now for now absolutely yeah yeah I wish I was made of the stuff that like that might make a larger family possible but I think at this stage it would be um an unwise decision <laughs> yeah you still have quite a small baby too two years old is not yeah you know, yeah very old (laughs) so we'll um we'll see what happens there (laughs) thanks for sharing that I think it's really important for especially a lot of listeners that may I I know a lot of people going through similar things Mm. especially at my age because I'm around the 30 mark Mm. so yeah I know people that are going through fertility issues and it's really tough and there's not a lot of talk about it in the broader community I think as well like I was obviously able to reduce that down to you know I don't know like a few sentences and like when you're going through it it feels like it might never end do you have any sort of advice for people that are going through it right now or is there something that you would I mean wisdom that you would sort of pass on as support I wish I could say that you know like I don't let me think about this. Sorry, that's a really big question. I'm realizing no, I, to put you on the spot like that. I just don't want to say anything that uh, that contains a promise. You know, for me, my, it worked out. So it worked out. You know, and I I wish I could have known that, so I didn't feel so um, yeah broken and faulty while I was in that kind of process of trying to have a baby because. Mm. Um, yeah, it was it. It was probably the most alone I've ever felt as well. Especially having a miscarriage, um, it becomes a part of you, I suppose, in a way that um, you can't undo and you can't change. And mm. I'm completely accepting of that now. And I've, yeah. Did you have people to talk to when you experienced your miscarriage, or did you experience that privately? At the time, I experienced it relatively quietly. Um, I obviously told my, sorry, I shouldn't say obviously because not everybody does, but I told my, my parents and my, uh, partner's parents and, um, a few people around me, but I certainly didn't tell everybody who was close to me. Um, whereas now I'll just sort of casually mention it because, I think it's important to talk about and obviously I've dealt with it um, mm. and I've learned a lot since then as well specifically concerning you know the um, the prevalence of it which I think changes the way I want to talk about it because 
Um, it's helpful for others. Yeah, there's that code of silence around miscarriage, which is just completely unhelpful. Mm, totally. So Well Red was born, it says in your um, bio, along with a few real babies along the way to keep things <laughs> yeah. exciting. So I'm interested in the timeline there. Well Red was, it's, it's reasonably recent, right? But I'm sure it had a lot of um, work going on behind the scenes before it was released. Can you talk about the timeline between like the babies and the business? Yeah, sure. Um, the Real Babies really refers to my business partner, Biz. Uh, she she went on maternity leave for her second child and uh, literally the next day we had our first meeting. Um, she's one of those, uh, you know, like disgustingly impressive people who just constantly <laughs> ticking things off their list and very organised. And, yeah, she was sort of like, let's do this. So the real baby refers to her. So Well Red is almost a year old um, in terms of being something uh, that's yep. out in the world. Um, so you would have had a one-year-old anyway when it first began, right? So it would have been a lot of work for you as well at that time, having such a small baby. Yeah, I think um, I think it was... A, a way for me to escape, mm. you know, the sort of hardcore domesticity that came with having two children that I just absolutely did not anticipate and just sort of blindsided me in a way. Mm. Um, I was desperate, I suppose. And I mean, I think I have to give Biz most of the credit in terms of the timing because I'd sort of sat on the idea and she she really kind of came in and, and made things happen faster than I could have or you know I would have myself so um yeah it was the good thing about working with a business partner I think and then having your own small business is that things sort of at the beginning happen quite gradually and incrementally um so it, it felt like a I wasn't doing that much work because I was uh, it was I don't know I think the other thing is that I was loving it mm. you know it was something that we owned. We have creative direction. It's aligned with your something that I believe. Yeah, in. aligned with your values and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, did you ever feel like you'd need to sort of put your aspirations or your career on hold when you had your first baby? Is that something that you considered? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I worked in publishing, but I'd sort of, you know, it's it's the hierarchical sort of structure of publishing is that you junior or you know you're working in these low-level roles until for a, mm. quite a while you know until you're not and I, I wasn't at the stage where I was like oh this is my this is where I fit into publishing and you know then when I had my daughter I was sort of like that felt like oh well now I'm even further away from that and you know f publishing is like an 85 percent female dominated industry wow and there are very few part-time roles that exist yeah within it you know I think that was a really difficult reality for me to face I was living an hour and a half south of Sydney or I was commuting to so definitely I was sort of trying to figure out what my career looked like and feeling yeah pretty confused <laughs> especially at that time because if you're pregnant and you're you're already going through a lot of self-reflection and analysis so to have the added pressures of career yeah. confusion Absolutely. Yeah, I started to work in a bookshop 
uh, I stopped working in publishing when Sid was born. I, I was working from home and it just sort of wasn't working out. I wouldn't really encourage anybody to work from home with a, a newborn. It sort of oh, sounds wonderful on paper. And, and it's just the reality was, yeah, it was, it was. Um, There's no lines between everything. It's all just like everything's in the one space it's really confusing isn't it absolutely lines are so important mm. and I think um yeah when when work blends into life and you know there's just no um predicting what a day might hold when you have a yeah have absolutely. children so then once you did have your first baby did you feel a sense of fulfillment did that sort of reality hit you pretty quickly that babies weren't what you thought they were or did you feel like oh wow I, this is what I wanted this is exactly right my experience with my first child was that life was wonderful I had a huge support network we moved from the south coast up to Noosa to live with my parents-in-law because my husband was doing some more study and we just sort of got that feeling that like maybe we we should be around family during this mm. first year and my gosh it was such a great decision because in hindsight, you know, just even the uh, even having someone hold your baby at the end of the day so you can make dinner or so you don't have to hold your baby was just, it's such a huge help. And I, I really thought a lot about how we're supposed to live when we have children once I didn't have that support network because, yeah, I had a really wonderful, supportive experience the first time around. Um, Whereas when I had Sid, we were back living down on the South Coast, no family support. And that's when I started to just feel completely overwhelmed by parenthood and, yeah, like the domestic kind of intensity yeah. of it. <laughs> it's pretty overwhelming. I'm, I can relate because we're in Victoria and I'm from up New South Wales way as well, um, north of Sydney. So we don't have any family down here. My partner also has family up there. Um, so we've done mm. it all from scratch by ourselves mm. with no support and it's been really tough. Um, mm. But also we haven't really had any experience with that support network. So we don't really know what that's like. It would be <laughs> amazing. Um, and when we did have family visit, it would be like a luxury two weeks of, oh, the house is always clean and all of that yeah. kind of thing. But but yeah, community is kind of lost in our culture at the moment, really, isn't it? That's I know in and most sort of areas, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a very it's a recurring conversation in my household with my husband. Like, do we move back to you know we love living where we do and our mm. life is here, but how great to have family around us all the time. So it is something that uh, yeah kind of plays out in our yeah. Yeah, it's a hard one. It's a hard one. Definitely <laughs> relatable. How much has motherhood then impacted your identity, how you see yourself in the world around you? It's a really hard question. <laughs> <laughs> it's changed the way I, I perceive everything and yet I feel like I'm the same person at the same time. Um, I think I'm really still coming to terms with the things that might be the answer to that question. <laughs> Yeah, I fluctuate between thinking that things should be easier or that uh, this is this is a natural thing that people do you know why does it feel like adversity sometimes and then on the other end of that spectrum is um, is that natural flow like this is 
this is my people and I, I feel like I've, I've had my children with me forever. Um, yeah, I, I, I just don't feel capable of answering that question right now, perhaps because I'm, I think maybe it's because I'm, I, I do feel so much in the thick of it right now. Yeah. That it, uh, it's kind of hard to, to kind of, you know, figure out where you're, what you're thinking, what your position is. At all. Yeah. I mean, I read, that's why it's so great that there's like serious literary, literary inquiry into motherhood now because it really helps us to articulate these mm. feelings and thoughts we're experiencing. You know, prior to really only the last decade, there was no books in that kind of category. Yeah. Um, and now we have people like, you know, like, I don't know if you've read Rachel Cusk. Oh, yes. I love that book. It actually was very inspiring for this podcast for sure. Oh, that's so cool. Yes. Yeah. I mean, she got such, she had such a kind of backlash of terrible reviews of that book, but it's, I think some of the ideas in that are so important to consider when you're in the thick of it. Um, yeah. And maybe on the other side, I might be able to <laughs> mm. articulate myself. Hello there. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I'm interrupting you to bring you our first ever ad. Do you need a new website? Nikki from Seedling Digital builds beautiful brands with meaning, custom WordPress websites and strategic marketing plans for small and medium-sized businesses who are ready to make big growth. She describes her work as a minimalist blend of creative and professional and has a passion for working with women-led businesses. I recently hired Nikki to build a custom WordPress website for Mother Other. With a background in design myself, I had high expectation and a pretty particular vision in mind. Nikki made the process really easy for me and saved me so much time, including building in review software for the podcast and thinking through ways to build income through the website. She enabled me through education and training at Handover and was open to changes to nail my vision. I am so impressed with the overall design. For all of your custom branding and website building needs, get in touch with Nikki at seedlingdigital.com.au. Now, back to the podcast. There is a lot of backlash, I find. There's a bit of a divide between experience of motherhood and not experience, like no experience of motherhood. I think there's a bit of a gap there. Is that what the backlash was about, do you think? Or were people sort of, because I haven't looked into much of the... Um, the negative reviews of it I didn't even realize that there was yeah there's a there's a great Guardian article where she addresses all of the she doesn't address all the backlash but she sort of mentions it and responds to it in a way that like this is how it made me yeah, how yeah. it made me feel sorry yeah. but yeah there's absolutely a divide like Sheila Hetty's book did you read motherhood I didn't like that one very much <laughs> yeah. we can um we can chat further about that because I didn't either and I found I didn't like it either, but I am grateful that it exists and that it's a book. <laughs> I feel yeah. like, yeah, that conversation between like motherhood not being the defining feature of, of one's life, that that is their work and that that's something that Cusk sort of is getting at too. Um, that's a such a important conversation to have. Yeah. Um, but then I found her... Sheila Hetty's book just sort of it was very um binary you know and yeah I think I was pregnant when I read it and I felt the questions she was asking a little bit triggering maybe like 
um, yeah, because right. I'd made the decision and I was going to be a mum and I was trying to come to terms with all of the, you know, everything. Like my life is changing. I'm going to be changing. I have this whole human to look after. And then I just felt like she wasn't pregnant, was she, when she wrote the book or? No. Sure she, no. Yeah. And so I think maybe that's what it was. There was just a bit of a gap between our, we weren't seeing, we we're on the same wavelength. And I think yeah, that's what I, it is. Yeah. I felt quite defensive reading it as yeah, well. Yeah, that's um, the word, defensive. Like you kind of, well, I have chosen this and this is, you know, yeah, my life And now. I think, I've, yeah, and I find that feeling kind of pops up every now and again. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And it's, I think it's triggering because maybe I'm not sure, it kind of goes back to that question, like I'm not sure, like am I a different person? Can I be still all these other things and be, you know, successful and have things that I own that are not my children? That get, yeah, sorry, I'm not being yeah. very articulate at no, all No, no, I totally understand <laughs> what you're saying. Interesting you say success because I was going to ask you what does success look like for you personally at the moment? I just had to answer this question recently in like a print interview. So I've had a little bit more time to uh, Uh gather my thoughts. (laughs) Yep. Uh, For me now. So yeah, prior to having babies, I'd be like, I want to be a publisher and, you know, go and commission books. And uh, now my idea of success um, is completely different. It's about doing work that is valuable or that I feel valued in um it's how it intertwines with my family and Mm. I think having work that doesn't feel like you're a different person when you do it like oh I'm going to go to work and put my hat on and I know that not everybody has that luxury or that privilege but that's what I am that's what I strive for now um got nothing to do with you know pay grades or acclaim it's just Mm. especially while my children are so young I want to do yeah work that I can I can you know I guess I was going to say I can do at home but we did just previously speak about (laughs) yeah sort of you can dip in and out of if you need to yeah and I mean like working at a bookshop was a really wonderful job Oh, it's Uh, like a dream job for me, even though I know it's not going to be the greatest pay. It's still something that seems. It is a great job though. Okay, that's good to know. I think it was like perhaps my favourite job ever. Wow, that's so nice (laughs) Uh, to hear. Especially with young children, you know, being able to go to work and have meaningful conversations with people about things that you really care about and then being able to leave it at home, like there's something to be said in that. Yeah. Um, Likewise, there's the same, there's something to be said about, you know, owning, owning your own work as well. And I, so I was sort of doing that at the same time as when Well Read was sort of beginning. And, and that was a really great sort of, that was a great setup. Mm. So in the early days, you said you had a lot of family for support because you moved closer to them. What about friends? Did you have uh, other mums to turn to for support when you were going through that first sort of year and re? I guess, calibrating yourself or did you make new friends that were mums? I had friends who already had children, but they weren't living, they weren't living uh, near me really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't meet, well, I didn't have a huge network of friends when I lived in Queensland that year. I did um, make 
I did meet one friend and you know when you've got that one person and they're sort of on the same page as you doing exactly the same thing and there's that enormous sense of solidarity that you get Mm, from that person yeah yeah um so that was really cool um but yeah my I my when I moved back to the south coast uh when Maggie was just over a year um I had met a friend before I left and we were pregnant at the same time and she uh, grew up here and she had a huge sort of network of friends and she sort of started this mother's group and they've just ended up turning into the most special people in my life. Um, we've all kind of gone on to have second babies together or around the same time and because I didn't have that sort of network the first time around, my goodness, it was just like a saving grace the second mm. time around. That's so nice. To have yeah, to have somebody on the other end of the line or just to hang out in a park with. Yeah, and who gets it? <laughs> like that's that whole wavelength thing again, I think. Like I'm just noticing more and more in these conversations that so many people would either not have that support network or even my mum, I've spoken to her about it, you know, when she's she's in her late 60s now, but when she first had kids, um, pretty much all of her friends that she had at the time just it was like she said it was like she died like they just kind of disappeared when she first had kids and there was no social media back then so she had to start from scratch and um, obviously she has very fulfilling friendship groups now but it's just such a strange change um, in the way you see one another and how um, everything kind of falls away and you're left kind of reaching for something to connect like someone to connect with and it can be really difficult I think if you don't have that yeah absolutely and like I I'd find that you know I'd try not to talk about my kids with my friends who don't have kids because mm. I didn't want them to be like either bored or think oh Laura's just like so different now she's just a mum yeah, just a mum and she's yep. obsessing over her kids. Yeah. <laughs> so when you have, when you are able to just really sort of forget about that and not feel guilty when you're kind of working through these experiences um, and to talk to people who are in the same situation, yeah, that's a, a really liberating, great yeah. thing to do. It's like sharing your truth, you know, like you don't have to edit yourself and rethink everything yeah totally there was absolutely no editing going down with my um with my mm-hmm. group yeah in fact I, was, I think there was perhaps it was on the, uh so the other sort of end of that section yeah. where you know I was pretty nothing's, unhinged nothing's whenever I, yeah yeah no not at all um yeah so that if you can find um you know a network of people then um you know I would I just think it's something that is so valuable Absolutely. So going back onto the well-read topic, in the bio it says we wanted to help people get off their devices, which is really excellent because we need ways to get off our devices. Do you spend a lot of time, did you spend a lot of time on your phone in the early days of motherhood or did you always, have you always found it easy to choose a book over your phone? Tell me about that. Um, I, I definitely would like to spend less time on my device and I think I would I think that's something that I've always wanted. Um, definitely 
if you can develop a habit of reading, which is actually so easy. Oh yeah, like I agree. It takes what twenty? I think it takes twenty-one days to develop a, a habit, right? So you just need to have maybe three books there, ready to go, and you know, just read them before bed, when you wake up, or whenever you find a moment. And I guarantee you, like, it's going to be really hard not to be a complete, you know, re- uh, book addict after you've done that. Um, mm. Especially just, if you find books that align with you, because I find so many people say to me. I don't like books. And you're like, well, there's literally books for every topic. <laughs> Anything you like, there's yeah. a book. So it's about finding one that suits you. Hey, Absolutely, yeah. Just talk to a bookseller or, uh, you know, somebody who gets you and who is a reader and ask mm. them for a list. Um, but, yeah, that being said, like I, I've, I cannot not read now. Like I think if I, if I stopped reading, I don't know what would happen. I would die or something because <laughs> it's just – that's funny. I can relate. It's so, it's something um, so important in your life. But mm. even on a practical level, like I actually can't fall asleep without reading. Mm. So like in that sense, it, I, I I guess I'm not spending that much time on my device if I'm reading. But yeah, it's that constant battle, isn't it? That just yeah. I mean, so much good stuff is on that, on the other end of the phone, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of bad stuff and it's so easy to sort of lose control of that balance. Um, yeah. And especially now that Well Red's kind of growing and, uh, you know, I look after the, all the digital sort of stuff, it requires, it does require me to, to be on my device. Um, and I often think of that line, you know, and I feel like a complete, uh, <laughs> feel like a complete uh, fool, you know, that I'm telling people to do it and here I am. But, yeah, I think you really need to be very critically aware of how much what your relationship is like to your phone. Yeah. You know, just if you if you're kind of doing that aimless scroll and you say to yourself get off and you can't then you know maybe you have a problem. Yeah. There's that great book How to Do Nothing that's been out for a little while now very popular and Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport and yeah if anyone's listening who mm. feels like they just want to um pare back the old um, you know, phone usage, I would recommend those books. Yeah, great. While we're on the topic of books, I'm going to ask you to suggest a few <laughs> books to mums that may be listening that relate somewhat to motherhood, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. Well, I mean, let's go back to the very beginning. If you're pregnant, um, Ina Mae Gaskin's child, uh, Guide to Childbirth is mm. the most, um, uh, it's just the best book to read when you're pregnant and I can I just press it into people's hands. I love it. Um, yeah, it's just, it changed the whole way I look at uh, childbirth and it changed me. Mm. So that's a good one. Uh, and then, yeah, I mentioned Rachel Cusk beforehand, A Life's Work. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a very raw, real, um, you know, it can be triggering, um, but yeah, very just, I don't know, I just love that book so much. Yeah. Um, I love Elizabeth Strout and she writes some great mothers in her work. My name mm-hmm. is Lisa Barton. I mean, don't read these books if you if you want like a perfect mother-daughter <laughs> relationship. There's generally like um, some pretty nasty complexes going down. <laughs> yeah, no, I think most people that listen to this podcast aren't after perfect mother-daughter relationships anyway, so I great. think we're safe there. <laughs> Okay, wonderful. Um, so, yeah, go ahead, read My Name is Lucy Barton and then follow that up with Anything is Possible, um, which Lucy Barton features in. Uh, what other books do I love with mothers in them? 
I've answered this question before as well, and I'm trying mm-hmm. to remember. I know That's I mentioned. Okay. Yeah, there's it a is... few to keep you going. <laughs> um, I'm actually thinking I'll probably do a, a post about this on the website at some point soon because I feel like it's something that needs to be needs to yeah. be shared. Yeah, and like, and maybe we 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 do need these portraits of damaged and um, confused, complicated women who are becoming mothers or or, or who are kind of working through their own relationship with their own mothers. Um, yeah, because I feel like it was just if there wasn't these books around, but, I mean, that, that didn't mean that the mother-daughter relationship was perfect. It was just that nobody was talking about it. Exactly. Or writing yeah. about it. Yeah, it's good that we're living in a time now where there's a lot more truth coming out about, yeah, the experience of motherhood and the relationships that it changes and the way we see our mums and all of that kind of stuff because yeah absolutely it's quite hard to understand it pre what were you going to say oh I just like loved that scene in Fleischman is in trouble uh which I'm sure 99% of the population read last read year it, yeah and the birth scene in that book was just so good I thought because it just I can't remember it now well, it, it was really traumatic. Like she just had all of That's her. That's probably why. I probably blocked it yeah. out. <laughs> she had all of her rights taken away and, um, yeah, she was, I just think it was a very well-written scene and it sort of played into uh, the trauma and that she that she carried around with her thereafter. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is why that book was so amazing too because it had, you know, the whole time you're reading it at the beginning you're thinking, oh, this is a book about a man. Mm. I'm not, I don't like this man, blah, 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 blah. And then mm. all of a sudden the woman's perspective comes into it and you think, oh, my God, it all makes sense, like this poor woman. Yeah, yeah totally. That. No, that's a great book. So circling back, I am interested in this sort of what we were talking about before we started recording the conversation about childcare. And I'm wondering about the dilemma of dividing your time between your children and your vocation and your husband and all of that type of thing. So can you talk about (laughs) how you, like, where do you currently work? How do you find space to work? And how does that all look for you right now? It is a juggle. It's, I work on my um, dining room table mostly. Um, my husband's currently working on a trestle table that's set up in our bedroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is, you know, just in case somebody happens to be listening to this in 2021 when uh, we're all back in offices and, you know, mm-hmm. living normal lives again. This is obviously in the midst of COVID. Um, but, yeah, even pre-COVID I was working on my dining room table. Biz, my business partner, she's got a great uh, shed set up that we do a lot of the sort of fulfilment of Well Read from, but... Uh, yeah, a lot of my work is done um, from my dining room table, which is just not ideal, but, you know, that's, it's a reflection of, um, <laughs> of the arrangement I have. And I'm, I'm lucky to have it, you know, that I can do my work when I can. Yeah, my kids, mm. we sent them back to daycare last week. It was a great decision, I think, because... Uh, there have been some really joyful days during COVID and we've had amazing weather here, which has helped that, but it's been, it's been rough. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I don't, it's been a really intense time to go through. Like it's, it, I don't want to, 
go on and on about it because I know <laughs> there's people who are having it a lot tougher than than we are. But it's been yeah, yeah it's been a, a challenging time for sure. So navigating um, with kids is complicated, I think. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, seem at the beginning it seemed like life wasn't that much different. Um, but it sort of had this cumulative snowball effect where I just could see that everybody was a little bit unhappy. Mm. <laughs> and, no time um, to anyone. No, no one gets time to themselves. No one gets like no. a break and from yeah. So they went back last week, and uh, I really cherish that silence and that time to work productively and mm. like over a full day it's been a it's been a good decision low risk high mental health payoff mm-hmm. yeah totally and how do you manage to read so much because I know you read a lot anyway but especially for the business <laughs> now um do you read when the kids are at home do you have a specific time you like to read I read uh so I always carry a book around with me because you just never know when you might have an opportunity to smash out a couple of pages. Mm-hmm. I read every night. I kind of sometimes will start at the dining room table, aka my desk, <laughs> then I'll move to the couch, maybe then to my bed. So find that that helps. Otherwise, you know, you go to bed, you read two pages and you're out. Mm. But I often wake up, set an alarm and wake up early to read specifically. Like I used to do that before Well Read. But I do it more now because there's obviously decisions that need to be made based on us reading um, books. And, you know, the whole premise is that we will read mountains of books so that you don't have to and we'll cherry pick the best, you know, or one of the best new releases for that month or that kind of general time period. So I we can't drop the ball on that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it does take the joy out of it a little bit sometimes. I do sometimes think, oh, it was so nice when I could just. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Because it seems like an ideal thing to do, but even from my perspective, which is just I'm only getting, you know, a select few every now and then. And even that sometimes I think, oh, it's such a service though as well. Like you're doing such a service yeah. too. Yeah. And once we find those books that we end up choosing, it's um, and we get feedback from people saying, you know, this was such a great book. It meant this to me. It's such an affirming, encouraging feeling. So, mm. you know, and then you go back to reading it. And, you know, like if you'd said to me that I will, if you'd said to me when I was working, in, you know, as a coordinator in publishing, oh, you'll get to read all of these proofs and choose your best one, you know, that just would have sounded like a dream. So I can't complain too much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Actually, speaking of, I'm reading um, The Girl with a Louding Voice at the moment and, oh, oh my excellent. God, it's so good. I've actually been dipping in and out of it because I don't want it to end so I'm reading other things alongside yeah that the voice of that book is so strong and I actually found that my inner dialogue was um being um narrated by Adani the Mm. the character in that book um but yeah that book's you know you feel a little bit unsure sometimes about the books you send out and that book has just Somebody told me the other day they wanted to name their child Adani after reading it. So. Wow. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah, yeah it's, was... it's a really great choice. So props to you on that. And I'm sure all of your books have been amazing choices. I haven't read them all yet. Oh, thank you. What are the daily rituals that you have at the moment, especially with COVID going on, to kind of keep you staying <laughs> level-headed right now? Ah, uh, rituals. I wish I was a ritual person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so not. I, the only constant in my life, 
I really believe is reading. Okay. You know, I'm the sort of person like at the beginning of COVID, I was doing these fitness things like on YouTube, these just really like hot American women <laughs> that were like in white active wear. I just, I was like, you, there's only a certain sort of person who can pull off white active wear. <laughs> Anyway, I was watching that a lot and doing that at the beginning of COVID and then I just got over it. And, yeah. you know, and I was like making, I was like, I'm going to pickle. I'm going to learn to pickle. So I sort of got into that and then. I did that yeah, for a bit got, too, actually. <laughs> Drop the ball on that one. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I'll go through phases of like being really into yoga and then just not doing it for six months. Yeah, rituals. I make, I have a cup of tea, a really strong cup of tea every morning. Yep. Before I eat food. <laughs> That's definitely a ritual. Mine's coffee. I'm surprised you don't drink coffee, but I mean, it's good that you don't because it's so bloody addictive. Coffee for me is just like a, um, creates huge amounts of anxiety in me. It's mm. like, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm allergic to it. I love the yeah. taste of it, but yeah. Um, yeah, coffee is not my friend. Yeah. It's ah. good that you're aware of that. I think a lot of people just ignore that and... Yeah. No, you don't want to, you don't want to be around me when I've had coffee. So yeah, I'm not a ritual person beyond, I guess, reading. Um, I wish I was, but then maybe, maybe there's, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of uh, emphasis put on like ritual at the moment. It's like, how did you do this? Tell me what's the secret. And actually I, to go back to Taffy Brodessa Anchor, is that how you say her name? I'm not sure, but I'm thinking, yep. Let's go with (laughs) She wrote a really great piece on like somebody wanted to know how she wrote Fleischman is in trouble because she sort of did it uh, during a year where she wrote a lot of nonfiction, like a lot of journalism. Um, Something she had a child, I don't know what the age. Anyway, she she was a busy woman, right? So then Mm. everyone was asking her these questions. And she sort of said to them, um, there's, they're like, I was a mess. I was a hot mess, you know, and um, I just did it whenever I could. And she, writing Fleischman for her was the document she always had open on her computer. Mm. It was not her work, you know, because she's a, she's a journalist. So this was just her joy. And she said it just came out of her in a way that nothing else was. She like left her kid at sport training or something. It was a great story in that. <laughs> but yeah, zero, zero routine. And I was like, yeah, that's so great to hear, like that mm. you didn't get up and scrape your tongue 10 times. And um, <laughs> Not that I'm against that. I actually do like tongue scraping myself. No, it's just, <laughs> I actually, yeah, me too. And it's just funny hearing you say that because it is so true. Like we really do obsess over how other people get things done it's such a and I mean Mm. in this podcast specifically I'm kind of more interested in how people see themselves and what changes them through motherhood but I am also interested in how they cope how they cope being Mm. and doing other things because on one hand I can't be sane without it that's sort of how Mm. I keep my sanity is doing a million things alongside being a mum but on the other hand yeah, I, I don't know how I do it sometimes because it is really yeah. consuming. So, and yeah, you think, when am I going to drop the ball? Like, when, yeah, and I mean, inevitably, I drop the ball like a few times a week, and yeah, it's, it's ugly, you know. And the doing of things for me increased, you know, when I had children. Yeah, if we go back to the beginning of the podcast, like I was, we I was saying how relaxed we were, and I was just, you know, living a really sort of simple life, 
reading, going to the beach, hanging out, going, you know, bushwalks with my husband, yeah. maybe going out for dinner like once a month. You know, we were quiet people now. Yeah. Suddenly, uh, yeah, suddenly with children became this sort of desire to do all the things. And I don't, again, I don't know what that is because I haven't digested it properly, but I feel like for me it's almost like striving to not just be a mother. And I don't know where that comes from, but I have a feeling it's like a society societal um, disregard of the work that mothers do. Oh, my God. You are, like, <laughs> summing up so well exactly. This is exactly it, the, you know. The, the English breakfast tea is hitting finally. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like our work is so undervalued in the home that – it can be really confronting to think this is my only work right now Mm. to feed my children, to make sure that they have fun and that they get to go outside and play and see their friends. And it's so undervalued that then I think for some people, myself included, it just is this, um, yeah, you sort of, I felt the need, I still feel the need to, prove myself in other areas of life mm. God, yeah. <laughs> so that I'm not I'm seen as just a mother and then like how how terrible is that sometimes I think I'm going to look back and just think I wish I was just a mother <laughs> yeah that's the thing it's so conflicting in, internally and yeah and like I said there's a divide between people who view you as a mother and what they perceive it as and then mm. other mothers and yeah it's all very confusing but it's you've summed it up really really nicely there for me so I appreciate (laughs) that um so I'd like you to answer one last question which is Mm. what has motherhood given you oh two gorgeous crazy kids Mm -hmm. for a start (laughs) yeah I mean I I guess for a motherhood uh podcast I haven't talked about them nearly enough but um yeah so surprising to have people in your life who you're created but who even sometimes just strangers to you because they can surprise you and have the capacity to challenge you and delight you so yeah beyond the obvious um it's given me a lot of respect for other parents Mm. (laughs) you know mine and my husband included of course I think it's it's impossible not to consider other parents when you're going through it you know I always think about a few of the parents of my friends I grew up with who had like five kids I'm like how the fuck did they do that (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 so ginormous amounts of respect for other parents it's given me an appreciation for my own time (laughs) yeah I think it's uh facilitated as well uh um a need to try and find the things that bring you joy so that you can, you know, have access to them when you need it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and learning, I guess that's sort of learning about yourself, isn't it? Mm, definitely. I think it's just kind of coloured the way I look at life in general, though, because the way you can think about what it might be like to have children is so different. So then it makes me think, well, okay, how am I thinking about, say, old age, for instance, and then what what is the actual experience of old age like? If this is what parenthood is like, then old age must be completely different. And, you know, you can sort of use that example for so many different aspects of your life. So, yeah, just, I guess, maybe then 
resisting that sort of feeling that you know how everything is going to play out. Mm, yeah. <laughs> hard, hard for a, um, a person who likes to have control oh. over everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish I could say it's given me the capacity to, uh, you know, understand and know that I can't have control over everything, but I'm not quite there yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's funny hearing you talk about control because I was just talking about this this morning. I I hate feeling like I've had all control taken away from me. It's really Mm. destabilizing, Um, especially in the current times. It's such a strange, it's, it's something everyone's kind of struggling with, I think, to a degree, because we've all lost control of what our futures are looking like absolutely um but yeah uh, motherhood definitely brings you to your knees and makes you realize that you don't have a lot of control I think so absolutely yeah it's it's an interesting one control this has been really so refreshing talking to you about this I appreciate you taking time out of your day um but I think that I'm gonna have to wrap it up because I could keep talking to you for like a long time (laughs) but I'm gonna have to end it eventually no that's like I I haven't um (laughs) chatted to anyone recently I was like should we keep (laughs) talking (laughs) (laughs) no really thank you so much for taking time out of your day I know you're probably supposed to be working so no it's it's been lovely you're so easy to talk to and and I actually mean it's quite lovely to be able to have a conversation with somebody um yeah especially (laughs) at the moment (laughs) okay take care you too bye Bye. And that's a wrap. As always, thank you endlessly for listening to today's conversation. I am so thankful to have you here joining me on this trajectory through mother and otherhood. If you love the show, please do go ahead and subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And if you could spare a minute, rating or reviewing the podcast goes a long way to helping this show reach more ears and provide solidarity to other mothers out there who may need a little affirmation or even entertainment in their lives. See you next time.